For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, Night Nation? Is back in the win column for the black and gold. Knights getting a big dub at home this past week. Past Tulane during the annual space game, 51-34. to So welcome you into another edition here of Two Nights and One Podcast, along with Leger Doosable, Scott Adams here, and Doos, former Knights standout and NFLer. Man, I'll tell you what, good to get back inside of the bounce house, and at the same time, UCF offensively very balanced, and Deuce, we saw glimpses of that defense getting into the backfield, causing disruption on the day, and the Knights able to bounce back after having those two games, that two-game skid. Yeah, you got to love to get back into the bounce house where you're more comfortable, you get, you get a win, you had a nice crowd there, as you talked about on the sideline Saturday, and I was just so ecstatic to see the D-line get pressure on the quarterback. Help that young secondary out. We even got a, tur- a turnover from, from Derek Gaines. It's good to see him be able to mix it in at safety. And it just it just flew better when our defense was complementary to our offense. We always talk about that complementary football. Offense, defense, special teams, and our defense, you know, showed up. We gave up two drives, the first two drives in the first half, and then the first two drives in the second half. But beside that, they were stifling. They got after Michael Pratt, and they shut down the run game. And that's what you want to see going forward with this UCF defense. Knights with a season-high five sacks defensively, also a season-high 11 tackles for a loss. As coming up here on this edition of Two Nights and One Podcast, we'll again take a deeper dive there to the two-lane game. This night offense continuing to churn. That night defense, the pressure in the backfield. Will we see it again this weekend on the road in Houston? We'll find out what Deuce has to say about what we are witnessing here with Dylan Gabriel and just some of these unbelievable numbers he is putting up. We'll get Deuce's keys to the game. We'll talk a little Halloween outfits, best ever. (laughs) And then at the same time, we'll close things out with Deuce Speak. But before we get to that, let's go ahead now and hear from this week's sponsor. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 
Two nights, one podcast. Scott Adams, Leger, Doosable. Dudes, let's let's jump into it. A week ago there from Orlando. Both teams with their backs against the wall. There's got to be some sort of response. And the Knights offensively, they, they were deadly. They had seven touchdown drives on the day. And you get a 51-34 victory over the Green Wave. If you're this Knight coaching staff, you got to like the way your men responded. Yeah, you have to like it, and you just have to like the balance on offense. Running the ball and passing the ball, over 200 yards rushing, over 400 yards passing. With that type of balance, it's going to be really tough to do anything with the UCF offense. And you just have to love the ascension of Dylan Gabriel, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later. But just what we talked about after the Tulsa game, you know, teams really rushing only three defensive linemen and really dropping eight and making him take his time and read coverage and wait for his receivers to get open. And he was surgical when that happened. You know, a lot of times teams, you know, like the blitz him when he was young, a younger quarterback. But this time, this year around, he's seeing the blitz. He's taking his time when they're only rushing three and he's finding the ball to his open. He's getting the ball to his open playmakers and letting them do their things. Marlon Williams, we, we can't talk about him enough. Three touchdowns. The guy has the softest hands in college football. And it's, he's so versatile because you can line him up, up all over the place, Scott. You can put him on the outside, line him up in the slot, and he really does damage in that slot. And I've even seen in the past, they give him some end rounds. He's lined up in the backfield. He's literally weapon X for UCF. And, and then the running game, right? Greg McCray, the first play of the game, 54-yard rush, and you saw the hyper one to come out, set a tone with that offensive line, and the backs ran hard and physical. It was good to get Bentavious Thompson back. He was in there running physical, got a touchdown run, I think had a 20-yard run in there in the second quarter, and it was just good. The, the, the offense was just clicking on all cylinders, and it has been all year long, besides maybe that second half versus Tulsa, but since then we've made adjustments, and this offense has been unstoppable. Dude, the, the, this UCF offensive line, they, they took a lot of, of grief there at the conclusion of that, that, that Tulsa game. You go into the Memphis game. They played nearly, nearly penalty-free football on the day. They back it up this past week. The balance on offense, that Greg McRae looked as if he was Greg McRae of two years ago. He was nicked up a lot of last year. He ran hard, 162 yards, but also was able to, to pick up uh, uh, numerous times in the backfield oncoming traffic to give Dylan Gabriel the ability to throw the ball down the field. But I said it after our, our broadcast the other day. I thought that offensive line maybe performed as well as they have all season long. Definitely, Scott. You talked about it. You know, a lot was put on them after the Tulsa game, and, and most players wouldn't know how to handle that flag and, and criticism. But this offensive line has come together really, Joe. I couldn't be more proud of Matt Lee. I feel like the last two games, he's played flawless, right? And then Ed Collins has been a mainstay at left tackle for us. Getting Schneider back from the beginning of the year where, he, you know, he didn't start the Georgia Tech game. He's coming to his own again, and you just really see this, this, this continuity on this offensive line. It's like a brotherhood that they have and, and they're really gelling and playing really well. And you could tell that it was, they really kind of put the game on themselves after the Tulsa game, the, the Memphis game, they wanted to, to put the game on them to protect their quarterback and run the ball effectively. And they've done it, you know, precisely the, the last two weeks versus Memphis and versus uh, Tulane. They've been able to run the ball when they wanted to run the ball. They've been able to pre protect and, and, and give Dylan Gabriel a chance to find those open playmakers on the outside. So I couldn't be more proud of this offensive line. 
There's a season-high 99 plays for 689 yards. This is the number one offense currently in America. But how about the final possession of this football game? A 14-play drive. The Knights were 4 of 4 on third down, and they held the ball for the final 829. The score could have been a a little bit higher. UCF puts the 50-burger up there, but to be able to kill the clock the way they did at the conclusion of that football game, that's got to give a a night team uh, a lot of confidence there when you're trying to hold on to a lead and then being able to, to... to react in crucial situations on third down to continue to kill the clock. Yeah, to me, Scott, that's the most important drive of the game, right? You want to be able to put teams away, eat eat away at some of that clock, especially when you have a three-score lead. And like you said, we could have scored at the end of the game. We're on the one-yard line. But, you know, you know, uh, Coach Hypo showed some class and and took a knee. I don't know if a lot of college coaches would have did that just because sometimes people want, you know, bigger scores as far as maybe being ranked higher because, you know, teams – when, they, when you're stated, slated to be somebody by 19 or, or 21 and a half, you know, sometimes coaches go out there feeling that pressure and like, we have to beat this team by this much. That way the committee sees us, you know, destroying everybody. But, you know, Coach, Coach Heupel had a lot of class by, you know, taking a knee on the one-yard line. But to me, four-minute offense, we talk about that all the time, being able to close teams out. And that's something that we really, you know, put an emphasis on, Scott. We've talked about this in the show the last two weeks, finishing games, right, and being able to put teams away. So when you have an emphatic drive like that, Six plus minutes, seven plus minutes, drop 14 plays, eating clock away. It demoralizes the defense. And that's exactly what this UCF offensive line did with the running game on Saturday versus Tulane on that last drive of the game. We're going to get to Dylan Gabriel here in just a second, but I think Dylan Gabriel and his success, a lot of that obviously hinges on his work ethic, his ability to read, recognize, and throw throw just just BBs on a regular basis. His accuracy, not just on deep balls, dudes, but but also those quick hitters. Uh, you know, that's that's one thing that when you're on field level, you get a real appreciation for. And his main target this year has been Marlon Williams, who again was was just insane out of his mind. Nine receptions. A buck seventy-four and three TDs on the day, including remember the Fred Astaire catch, getting both of those feet <laughs> down in the corner of the end zone. But Marlon Williams, we are seeing it firsthand, dudes, from a, a game-to-game basis. Gabe Davis a year ago, Marlon here, Williams now in twenty twenty is he looks every every bit the part of being able to play on Sundays. Yeah, 100%. And we'll talk about Dylan Gabriel first. And the thing about him, I think we all knew he could throw the deep ball, right? The vertical the vertical pass, the post route. The thing is, I wanted to see him grow in the second year. And we talked about those intermediate passes, right? Yards 5 to 15 yards. And I think he's done a great job this year. He had maybe two high throws to Jalen Robinson. But besides that, he's been pinpoint. I think the most important pass of the game was that, that last drive you talked about. We had to convert in third and short and he throws a quick slant route to Marlon in traffic and, and hits him right in, in between the numbers to move the chains to keep the clock running. And that's I think that's his ascension and his growth from year one to two. Yes, you can throw a fade route. Yes, you can throw a post route. But be able to kill teams up and down the field 9, 10, 11, 12 plays in the drive is demoralizing to teams when you can score at the end of those drives and be able to complete and move those chains on third down when it's third and five, being able to throw that quick slant or that quick out route and be on the money where only your receiver can catch the ball. 
that I feel like is where Dylan Gabriel was taking his biggest step this year. And Marlon Williams, I've talked about it since last year. I feel like he's had the, the softest hands in college football, and it's good that everybody gets to see him on a national stage do it now and be the number one receiver because last year you stated we had, uh, you know, Gabe Davis. So he was kind of like in his shadow. And this year, in, in just, what, four or five games, he's already surpassed what he had all of last year with four more games to go. You're talking about having a maybe a 1,100, 1,200-yard receiver, Scott, in nine games. That's That's just – ridiculous this shows the productivity he's, he's had i believe he's number one in receiving yards per game and number four in the nation for receptions per game this guy can do it all and the thing that makes him so special when you get the ball in his hand scott he becomes like a running back he's a physical presence you're not gonna ankle tackle him you have to put a body on him to get him on the ground and even then he's most likely gonna drag you for four to five yards 54 receptions on the season, 753 yards, six touchdowns. And dudes, Marlon, when he has the ball in his hands, and even when he's going up to make plays, he makes defenders look silly. He he makes things look effortless on the field. There's this certain glide that he has yeah. about him. And if you were to maybe compare somebody in the NFL, I mean, I don't necessarily go DK Metcalf just now. I don't know if he's yeah. as, as physically uh, imposing as, as Metcalf, but he is he is such a playmaker when he's got the ball in his hands and he makes things look easy. Yeah, I would I would I would say comparison to him is another young guy in the NFL. He kind of came onto the scene late last year, and Debo Samuel's from San Francisco, a guy that the San Francisco 49ers line up everywhere, a guy that they get the ball to in the backfield on sweeps and, and things like that. And he runs with a physical presence, just like Marlon. I would say Marlon has you know better hands than him and then softer hands than him and does things a little bit more effortlessly. As you said, it seems like he just glides. And when he goes up for catches, it's effortless. And that's the thing that I think separates him from a lot of receivers in, you know, national in the college in college football right now is because he makes things look so easy. He makes the hardest catches look like routine catches. And we've we've seen it going back to last year, the catch versus Tulane, um, the catch this year in the back of the end zone when it, when he had to make the lower part of his body like die down so he can get two feet into the end zone. He just makes hard catches look so easy. And I think if you're a scout in the NFL, that's something that you really like because he makes even the easy catch catches look easier, right? It's like things just glue to his hands. And then when he gets that ball in open space, you have a real playmaker that you know that one person is not going to bring down. No DB is bringing him down by by themselves in one-on-one situations. It's just not going to happen because he turns into a physical presence when he runs with the ball when it's in his hands. Well, you want to talk about a side storyline on Saturday, Halloween from Houston. It'll be two of the top playmakers, not in the just the American, but in all of college football, Marlon Williams for the Knights and Marquez Stevenson for the Houston Cougars. We'll get to the Cougs in just a second, but do Let's now turn our attention to that night defense where we talked about it at the beginning of our, our two nights and one podcast, the Knights with five sacks on the day. They had the 11 tackles for a loss and INT by Derek Gaines and dues. It was that end of the first quarter, beginning of that second quarter where we would see a span in which that night defense would absolutely terrorize true freshman Michael Platt. And that was really the shift in this football game because the night offense would then go on to score 20 on uh, 27 unanswered points where that night defense was able to get off the field. 
Exactly, Scott. And terrorizes the perfect word, right? We're going on this whole Halloween thing. The, the defensive line terrorized that offensive line from Tulane and Michael Pratt. He's probably going to be having nightmares of what happened in that first and second quarter. Kenny Tunye, he didn't start the game. Uh, I don't know what happened, but whatever whatever happened, it let, it let a switch up under him. And for two consecutive plays, he ragdolled the offensive guard in front of him and was physical, using his hands, getting off blocks, getting to the quarterback, and being violent when he got to him. Just didn't tackle him, brought him down, let him know he was there. And then you got to love what you see from Randy Charlton. I stated it the first two weeks. He might not have had the sack numbers, but he was affecting the quarterback, right? The first week versus Georgia Tech, another true freshman quarterback. He really got after that quarterback and didn't get the sacks because that quarterback was so athletic. He was able to escape a few times. But uh, but on Saturday, he was able to collect. He got to Michael Pratt with a long arm up first on a, on, a, on a right tackle. And then he comes back. They would try to do like a, a fake shovel pass and uh, have Michael Pratt, you know, run the ball on the outside. He was in the right place at the right time, did his responsibility, and brought the quarterback down again. He literally could have had three sacks, but, you know, he got held on the second sack and then Maltavo cashed in. So you have to love what you see from the defensive line, and not even just the defensive line. We talked about it, having the two Eric's back, right? I thought they were a real physical presence when it came to the run game, just having your two leading tacklers back in there. I think everybody on defense was just way more comfortable knowing that their signal callers were back in the game on Saturday. But, dudes, that, that pressure up front also assists your young cornerbacks. Devontae Brown gets a start here for the Knights' true freshman, Corey Thornton. He's trying to get his his legs here over the course of the past several weeks. That, that Knights' secondary, those corners, they, they'd taken a hit the past couple weeks. But, yes, that defensive front, and then you got the two Eric's, that, that's a world of difference if you're two young cornerbacks trying trying to make a name for yourself out there getting valuable reps. 100%. A, a, a secondary's best friend is a defensive line that can affect the quarterback and get the ball out of his hands a lot quicker than he wants to. And and conversely, a, a good a good secondary can help a defensive line get to the quarterback. And I think our, our true freshman quarterbacks really took a step in the right direction this week. Now, uh, defensive coordinator Randy Shannon did some good things, and me and you talked about this on the sideline. He switched some coverages up. They went they went quarter coverages a lot and man underneath. And then, but when they were a man, they, you know, Devontae Brown, I thought, really stood up. And I think Corey Corey Thornton stood up when they had to go man on man coverage. They, I felt like they did a, a really good job compared to what they've done in the past weeks. And that's just something when you have true freshman quarterbacks, right? It's going to be trial by fire. They're going to have to learn the hard way, but that's going to ultimately get them better as they go through their collegiate career. But uh, you got to give kudos to Randy Shannon for, for switching up some of the game plans and some of the coverage aspects and, and some of the blitzes that he had because the, the, the freshman quarterbacks played a lot better this week. And I look forward to them, you know, him continuing to switch up coverages. And, and as they get better and better and more comfortable, you know, maybe leaving them more in man-to-man situations because they get more comfortable in the scheme. Dude, just a final thought here on, on the two-lane game. Coming in to this contest, we thought we were going to see a heavy dose of, mm-hmm. of on the ground running the football by the green wave that the top team in, in the American rushing the football. But as you stated, they're early on on the sideline. Hey, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And what I mean by that is you've seen the tape the past couple weeks going up against these, these young UCF corners. Let's try to test them. Now, we saw that early in this football game, but then those adjustments did did take effect. And that, that run game that we thought was going to be heavy dose, heavy dose this, this entire game wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah, and that's college football. It's a copycat league. 
You're going to see what a, a team did against one team and had success with it, and you're going to try to implement that, and that's exactly what Tulane did. They came out throwing the ball with Michael Pratt, and he was very accurate the first two drives, just like he was the first two drives in the second half. But then Randy, Randy Shannon made some adjustments. The D-line started getting going, getting to the quarterback and effective him, and then all that, that game plan goes out the window because if your quarterback drops back and he's getting hit after three seconds – then that game plan goes out the window, right, Scott? So you have to make another adjustment. And then they started being effective in the run game a little bit in the third quarter. But the third quarter, but then even then, UCF defense stood up again and shut that down. So you have to love the adjustments made by Randy Shannon. He made them before halftime, which is something that you really love because it, you know it gives you a better chance in the game when you don't have to wait till halftime to make certain adjustments. And you can make adjustments on the fly. That way, it gives you an opportunity to shut teams down and with our offense. When we go up by two scores or three scores, it's really tough for any team to come back because I feel like our offense can almost score on any drive against any defense. Knights now 3-2 and two on the season through these first five games. Take on Houston this week, Halloween Saturday from Houston. This will be the Knights' fourth road contest here of the season. The only one getting dropped was the Memphis game by a point uh, several weeks ago. This will be the 10th overall meeting between these two schools, and here comes Dana Holgerson's guys, dudes, a, a squad that's 2-1 and one now on the season. Their lone loss comes out of the conference against BYU. This is a team that had their first three games of the season canceled because uh, uh, of COVID. They get a victory a week ago, a very good win, I thought, on the road in Annapolis, 37-21, to 21, where Clayton Toon, he was solid, the quarterback for the Houston Cougars, hooked up with Marquez Stevenson um, a couple times. But now here's Houston on the road. UCF feeling pretty good now about themselves and this offense, obviously clicking on, on all cylinders. The challenges now here that Houston present for UCF. Well, for one, Clayton Toon, I feel like if you look back at the state from last year, this was his most complete game versus UCF. I believe, Scott, they were up at halftime when they played at UCF last year. So this is a team that he's very comfortable with. And if you look at what he's done this year, his completion percentage has gone up from 60 to 66%. He's thrown for over 740 yards just in three games, seven touchdowns and only two interceptions. This guy is a very mobile quarterback, and we said that last week versus, Mike, versus Michael Pratt. But this guy, they actually put in tailored runs for the quarterback because they like his athleticism. He can get on the edge. He has great escapability. And like I said, he's been even more accurate. But let's not get it to it, Scott. This game is going to come down to if we can stop number five, Marquez Stevenson, one of the best receivers, not just in the American Conference, but in all of college football. He's a dangerous returner also. But this guy has track speed. And if he gets in the open field, he's gone. You're not catching him. So that should be number one on UCF's defensive board is know where number five is and eliminate him for this game. They call him Speedy, Speedy Stevenson, Marquez Stevenson, 15 receptions on the season, 266 yards in three tees, but, or three TDs, but let's get back to this matchup from last year in which Aaron Robinson, the nickelback, one of the best in the country for UCF, he would hold Stevenson to just two receptions for 10 yards. And Deuce, you mentioned it. This was a lead at the half for the Cougars before UCF 
They were able to get into the backfield. They sacked Clayton Toon on the day for five times. They would outscore this Cougar team in that second half, 23-6 to in route to a 44-29 to victory. It was a big day for Brendan Hayes, a big day for, for Kenny Tunye. And, and, you know, living in the backfield, the Knights had on the day 17 tackles for a loss you like what happened a week ago your hope is that can go ahead and 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 propel and spill over here to this saturday yeah you hope so right i believe we had 11 tackles for loss versus uh tulane last week which which a high for this season and we hope that trend continues because that's something we had did so well last year leading the nation in, in tackles for loss and if you go back to that game last year you talk about the marquez stevenson and aaron robinson matchup right a lot of times coaches will try to you know hide their receiver in the slot because they know they can get doubled easily on the outside and that's something houston has done even if you look at the game uh saturday versus navy i watched it he killed them with that slot fade. They put him in the slot because it's harder for you to d- double somebody in the slot. And um, that's what, last year, that's what they thought. They were going to put him in the slot. That way we, they can get him in one-on-one matches. But they just didn't know Aaron Robinson is, was as good of a player as he is, and he shuts down most people in the slot. So I guarantee they're watching the film this year, and they're seeing that we've struggled on the outside. And they'll probably keep him more on the outside this week instead of putting him in the slot because he did get strapped up by Aaron Robinson last year, just like Aaron Robinson has strapped up a lot of receivers, you know, in that slot because he's one of the best slot corners in the nation, if not the best slot corner. So that is going to be an interesting matchup for Saturday's game. Where will they put Marquez Stevenson? And will our coaches elect to put Aaron Robinson on him one-on-one like they did versus Memphis, putting him on the outside versus a receiver like Austin from Memphis? And also, if you look at the game from last year, they had the running back Carr. He was very effective for them in the first half. The second half, we started, you know, taking the league, and then it got him out of the element of wanting to run the ball. But I'll be interested to see if he he hasn't played. He didn't play last week, but it'll be interesting to see if, if he plays. Kyle Porter is their main back, but Carr, to me, is their more explosive back. We'll, we'll see if, if Houston will have him out there and playing on Saturday versus UCF. Yeah, Mobile Card, 26 rushes a season ago versus UCF in the bounce house for 148 yards and two touchdowns. Kyle Porter has seemed to be the most experienced uh, veteran back and also catch the ball out of the backfield. Dana Holgerson relying on him. He stated that here early on this week during his press conference and dues. He was also extremely complimentary of this night offense, and I guess, hey, rightfully so. You now see him two years <laughs> in a row. This now being his second year, he comes over from being the head coach out there at, at West Virginia, but he, he talked about this night offense and there's, there's one thing to be able to run tempo because there's a lot of teams now in college football that have a form of tempo, but the way that UCF has been able to run it is an entirely different situation and trying to duplicate that during a week of practice is extremely difficult, is it not? Extremely difficult, Scott. It's <laughs> the damn near impossible. Of the year. UCF runs a play with 25 seconds still on the play clock half the time, sometimes 30 seconds. For everybody that doesn't know, there's a 40-second play clock that goes on. By the time UCF gets everybody lined up, sometimes they're snapping that ball with 30 seconds still left on that play clock. So you can't simulate that in practice because, for one, it's the scout team, and unless they know – Three plays in a row, they're not going to be able to line up that fast and go, go, go. So it's so hard to simulate that. That's why you see when UCF plays so many teams, guys going down with, quote, unquote, injuries. And I, I hate to, to say that anybody's faking injuries, but you, you, some guys, you stated this on, on Saturday, Scott, 
one of the, one of the corners didn't know whether it was his his, his elbow, it's my leg, his arm, it's my arm, it's my his shoulders, yeah. sternum, and it's like, and and you get it, you know, from a defensive point of view, you don't want to burn time out. Somebody goes down that way, you can substitute and have your defenders catch their breath. But I don't think I've ever seen an offense move as fast as UCF offenses move. I thought Scott Frost's offenses move fast, but Coach Hypo has it literally light years ahead as far as speed and when the, the ball is snapped to the quarterback. Well, through three games, that Houston defense giving up just nearly 32 points per game. You know, as a team, they're giving up about 353. And you know what? If you can't slow down the night offense, you're going to have to try to come up with turnovers. But, dudes, they have not shown the ability to do that thus far. They get their first turnover of the season just this past week against, against Navy. Yes, they turned that into points. But UCF, conversely of that, Knights have played very well without giving up the football. Look at Dylan Gabriel now here in his past several games. He's got 11 touchdowns and, and a donut in terms of, of interceptions. So trying to turn this night offense over, is it's an extremely hard task. Yeah, it's no easy feat. You stated it yourself. Houston had his first turnover last week versus Navy. They're in minus seven in the turnover margin. And usually when you're minus seven in the turnover margin, you don't win games. It was a surprise to me that they were able to come back and win the two-lane game because they had so many turnovers in that game. It was like astronomical because the numbers don't line up with them actually winning that game versus Tulane, but they were somehow able to come back and win that game. But I can tell you this, tell you this uh, for sure, Scott. They turn over the ball, turn over the ball three times versus UCF. It's going to be a tall task for them on Saturday because this night defense. The one thing they have done successfully this year is get the ball away from the opposing team. And like you said, the last two games, this night offense has been cooking. It has not given up the pill to other teams. So that should be the breaking point. And, and it's probably going to be one of my do's and don'ts. The team that wins the turnover battle is going to most likely win this game. Yeah, I was going to say, we set the table here coming into this as well as this night team has been playing. And the Houston Cougars, they're, they're going to be at home. There, there should be, you know, a, a, at least an atmosphere in, in that building. But the Knights, I, I mean, <laughs> we're almost pros now of being able to go out on the road here, which is saying a lot from 2019 to now 2020. The, the games that UCF did lose a season ago, those were, those were on the road. And, and the Knights yeah. have definitely um, turned the corner corner when it comes to to having any sort of of issues playing away from the bounce house yes i know this is covid 2020 crazy world but you know we set the table here dudes just a couple maybe a couple keys uh, on on both sides here for both for for ucf offensively and defensively well offensively we got to continue to run the ball effectively we talked about the balance Last week versus Tulane, over 200 yards rushing, over 400 yards passing. If we can continue to do that, we, we will continue to get the one-on-one -on -one matchups on the outside so our playmakers can keep making plays because they're going to have to send more and more people in the box to stop the run. If you look at last week versus Navy, they had so many people in the box. Granted, Navy usually only runs the ball, but that they, they kept getting explosive plays over their head. I think Navy might have set a record for passing yards. They had over 200 yards passing and that usually never happens for a Navy's offense and that's because they are so usually they're so usually effective in the run that Houston was committing everybody to the run so if we're really effective in the run and I really like how coach Hypo came out last week versus Tulane we're gonna pound this rock and let you know what type of day it is I think that's something that UCF needs to come out to do set the tone early at, on the way away game at Houston 
run the rock. Let them know it's going to be a long day in those trenches. That way they commit more and more people to the run game. That way you get one-on-ones with Jalen Robinson. You get one-on-ones with Marlon Williams. You get one-on-ones with Ryan O'Keefe. And then also Jacob Harris. Because I believe we have a real mismatch on the outsides with our receivers and their secondary. And on adversely on defense, it, it, it's simple, right? We have to get off the field on third down. That's something that we didn't do the first two drives versus Tulane, but after that, we played at a high level getting off the field on third down versus Tulane. If we can get off the field on third lane, get our, get our offense more opportunities at the bite of the apple with the ball, I think it'll bode well for this team winning the game. Because if we get off and have a high percentage on third down, the way our offense has been cooking and moving the ball, it's going to be a long day for Houston. Make no mistake, there is still a lot of football to be played in this league. If UCF can get this W here on the road by week next week and then the final three games of the season, there are still a lot of marquee games here in this league that that UCF, yeah, they're going to have to get a little bit of help, but I don't think it's too far-fetched. And case in point, Halloween Saturday, Cincinnati, yeah, they looked really good a week ago, but they're going to take on a Memphis offense here that is probably the best offense to date that they've seen. Cincinnati will still have to play Tulsa, and, you know, again, who's to say what can happen from a week-to-week standpoint? Guys that are playing, guys that are not playing, a lot can happen, but UCF to this point has done a very good job of controlling what they can control off the field and staying healthy and guys doing their part of not putting themselves into off-field situations. What I mean by that is putting yourself, exposing yourself to, yeah. to, to things that might might get somebody compromised and sick. UCF has a, done a great job to this point, so the kudos to that that UCF support staff and coaching staff and, and those guys in the locker rooms for, for doing the same thing. Dudes, there's, there's a lot of football, and a lot can still happen here for the Knights. Oh, 100%. You said it perfectly. Yeah, we don't control our own destiny, but if we take care of our business, I think we'll be right where we need to be at the end of the year. You just stated it yourself. In COVID 2020, who knows what could happen? And there's a lot of football left to be played. You got to think, I think Tulsa is going to have to go maybe six or seven straight weeks because of what's happened with COVID. Same thing with Cincinnati. They still have to come to the bounce house. And I think that bodes, the thing that really bodes well for UCF is uh, two out of the last three games are at home. And that third game being USF, which is right up the road. So there's a lot of comfortability with that, right? Scott being able to be home for that last stretch. And, and games that are usually won in November or teams that can win in November usually have a really good outset when it comes to extended you know extended playing time as far as bowl games and conference championships so i think it bodes well that ucf has their last three games in the state of florida for one and that other teams because of what what has happened with covid have to go like six or seven weeks straight and ucf because of what they've done not only on the field but off the field they get a perfect break after every three games Well, UCF going to look to continue their dominance this week here over a Houston Cougar program. The Knights are 6-3 all-time, got the W a week or a a season ago back in Orlando. This game coming your way Saturday, 2 o'clock Eastern on Halloween, no less. All Hallows Eve. Dudes, that said, give me your best childhood Halloween outfit. What was it? What was the costume of choice? What was the best one? Most most memorable, I guess. Oh, man. I'm trying to remember. Um, what was my best Halloween? I, I kind of like stopped celebrating Halloween once I got like 10. <laughs> um, but when I was younger, I believe I was a Ninja Turtle. Okay. Um, 
I believe I was Donatello. That was like my best like Halloween outfit. So you had a bow? <laughs> you had the bow stick? Oh yeah, you know I had to. Yeah, yeah. And you had your you had your, your had mask little, on? Yeah, exactly. What was the shell? What was the shell? Was the shell Well they actually had like a thing. It was like a uniform, like you put the whole thing on. We had like the green stockings and everything. And they actually had the middle part, um, like the little abs and like the little shell <laughs> in the back. <laughs> I think mine was a a, a Ghostbusters uniform or outfit that my mom somehow uh, actually, was able to construct. It's kind of cool. And I and I had I believe it was it was our vacuum in some capacity strapped onto the back of my back of my back. So I think, <laughs> That's I think that, that bravo to my mom for that one because that was a lot of ingenious hard work of trying to to put that uh, put that together. All right, dudes, as always we close out two nights one podcast little do speak. It has been I think very apropos the past several weeks. So that said, what what is this week? This is a a, a saying or a phrase that a coach through the years has said to dudes that has been impactful or memorable? Uh, this one, it, it, I think it bodes well for this week. It's consistency is key, right, Scott? It's, you can do anything once or twice, but for you, for it to be a, a consistent habit or for you, for people to consider you, you know, doing doing something really well, you have to have consistency with it. So can the Knights consistently do what they did Saturday in, in all as, assets of the game, offense, Defense, special teams. We saw our defense and spurts really take over the game. We had, uh, you know, one mishap on special teams with the, with the punt return. Let's see if we can get that corrected. And our offense has just been clicking the last two weeks. Let's see if we can put all three of those phases together, come up with it, come away with a big win. Because like you, like you stated, there's a lot of football left in this season. And it's COVID 2020. You never know what's going to happen. Well, Dylan Gabriel has been very consistent here in 2020, over 2,000 yards passing, 19 touchdowns, and him and the rest of the Knights will look to put it to the test coming up on Saturday from Houston. Another edition of Two Nights, One Podcast. Appreciate you for tuning in. Like, subscribe, all that jazz. It drops every Thursday. He's Leger Doosable. I'm Scott Adams. Doos, go Knights. Charge on. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.